Welcome and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Magnificent Whiskers podcast. On this episode, Colby and I take a look at and have a discussion on a couple of different topics, including but not limited to, uh, we're going to start off talking about some aliases and uh, as usual, we're going to swing right into uh, some of our political viewpoints and, and meander about multiple different subjects. I just want to take a second to thank each and every one of you who have taken the time to listen to us and invite each one of you to connect with us uh, on our various social media platforms, which we will share with you at the end of the show. So enjoy. Do you ever see those alias sections on forms, like government forms that you have to fill out, like if you're known by any known aliases, and want to fill in one of your nicknames, but you don't have the space for the backstory of the nickname? Yeah. Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> so there's no context or relevance to the nickname whatsoever? Uh, I actually, anytime I fill out a document that requests that, I legally have to list, because I, uh, my name has actually changed since I was born. Uh, I don't think I knew this about really? you. Really? Oh, well, this is a fun one. Yeah, no, my uh, my name was different when I was born. I'm not going to say it all here, but uh, edit this out then. Uh, yeah, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, when I was born, my name was Colby Miller. Colby oh, Edward I Miller. did know yep. this! And then for a while, it was Colby Edward Miller Bastion, and then it was just Colby Edward Bastion. All right, so now I just have to get you to say the numbers for your social security number at some point. In the podcast, and somebody can steal your identity and be a uh, a not architect. Good luck with that. Like, <laughs> if, if you can, you're better at you'll be better at it than me at that point. Yeah. Um. So, do you have any nicknames in particular that came to mind when I brought that up? Tank ass. Tank ass. Tank yeah. ass. That was a good one. Yeah, man. But there's you, you can't fill out the backstory, so you yeah. can't put that in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, man. Uh, Cole is a big one. Cole is a <laughs> Actually, you probably could fit that backstory. This was an autocorrect. <laughs> this, not even autocorrect. It was before autocorrect. It was a T9 correct. It was a T9. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, God, we are dating yeah. ourselves so much with it that. Was, it was a T9 uh, correct. And then anymore, I've got Colbo. Ah, uh, Colbo Baggins. A, uh-huh. Um, a really old one. This is... Uh, I, I, I get called uh, Colbert sometimes, which is a fun one. And now, does that have anything to do with the comedian, or yes. more of the animal? The comedian, I don't know of a Colbert animal. Colbert. Oh. And the first part okay, of the Okay, yeah, no. Colbert. Colbert. Okay. Spelling. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Colbert. <laughs> uh, a really <laughs> old one. This, this is a fun one. I, I used to be called Obi-Wan Colby. When I was really little, my uncle called me that. Okay. Uh, my uncle Jonathan. Um, that that was a fun one. That that that, that that's a heartwarming one for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I really, I don't have that many. I really just have one. But uh, well, you've got Remy. Yeah, Remy's I mean, I guess one. that's a nickname. Uh, I mean, you've got Tigger. 
Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot about that, but I did. If if the overdiagnosis of ADD and ADHD were a thing when I was growing up, I would not have had that nickname. I mean, I... Technically, I was diagnosed in kindergarten. But, but that's earlier than what I think they can legally diagnose you with that. In the, in the early 90s? I don't yeah, I don't know when the standards took into effect. Yeah, uh, but... Took uh, into effect. Wow. Were taken into effect. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, uh, but yeah, my my father in particular, my dad, he was particularly against medicating me in any capacity, and... Uh, Western medicine didn't. has its place, but generally speaking... Uh, on, uh, my mom was less averse, but still averse. Yeah. Um... Probably should have been medicated in some capacity. Yeah? E yeah. Even starting in elementary school. Like, going, like thinking back, I, I, I should have at least had some psychological oversight. But... Maybe that's... somebody to talk to at the very least. Yeah. I don't know my opinions on... Uh, maybe maybe not... Strong. Maybe not solely... Definitely not solely medication. Like... Medical regimens, especially for children, need to go with counseling uh, when they're psychological. Because when you're putting you are... psychotropic, psycho-reactive medication therapy into a developing mind, yeah, that's a problem. There needs to be not like, oh, my kid is hard to handle. Yeah. There needs to be some legitimate issues going on there that are, you know, becoming detrimental to that child's yeah quality of life because. As a parent, I'm sorry, bro. If your kid is hard to handle, this is what you fucking signed up for. Yeah. Your your main job when you become a parent, in my humble opinion, is to make sure that those children have the best quality of life possible. Yours be damned. I mean, obviously, there's something to be said. Like, you for, are still a human being. Yeah, you're still a human being, and, and, and in order for you to be able to provide the best life for them, you have to make sure that you're providing for your own needs. But if your kid's just unruly... Medicating them into compliance is is a first of all it's like it, I'm certain that violates the Geneva Convention uh, like that's well, some horseshit. Well, Geneva Convention only applies to war, like I mean, and to countries. War. In, individual people uh, aren't under the dictate of the Geneva Convention. Obviously, but, I was being ridiculous. No, uh, if if you are medicating your children into compliance, yes, that is a problem. But like, there are there are children for whom medication allows them to. Performed. 100%. Completely exist. agree. Um, exist within the normal parameters of society. I, well, what it, I really like, enjoy like, no. are things that take... Are things. Are, are artistic works and literature and television shows that take a really hard look at that concept. Yeah. Because I think that we... Again, we talked about this in a previous episode, just the trust of like the police officers... We just assumed that they're... For a long time there, we just assumed that they were doing the right thing. We just um, assumed doctors... We just assumed doctors they, are doing... A lot of people... They just know what they are doing. Just assume, they just, right. They just know what's good for you. And... One of my favorite examples... There's a lot of medicine out there. It turns out it's really hard to keep up, even for a doctor. Super is. And one of my favorite examples of that entire scenario is a television show. Didn't last long, but it was brilliant. It's called Black Box. Okay. And it's about a, a neuroscientist, and her name is Catherine Black. Okay. And I don't remember the actual disease that she had, but she had something that gave her manic episodes. If she... I think she had bipolar. I could be wrong, though. If she didn't medicate herself, she went into a state of mania. And that was where she felt most herself. 
Now, there were some other potentially detrimental side effects to this mania, to her, and now when I say detrimental, I'm speaking that they would negatively impact maybe her social life, sometimes even her physical well-being, because she would take greater risks and do some things that under a medicated state, a sedative, a sedated, a sedated that's what I was looking for, a sedated state, she would not. And it also, when she was sedated, limited her ability to think uh, outside the box. There was a particular episode where she cured late-stage rabies. Okay. But she had to allow herself to become unmedicated and go into a manic state in order to do so. I, I have a real problem with depictions like that because it scares people into thinking that you aren't yourself on medication. Fuck you. It does not scare anybody into anything. It allows you to look at it from that perspective. It, which is a fair thing to keep in mind, but that is basically the only portrayal that I see of medication for mental illness. Because I think that it, that, that side is actually underserviced. I think that most people are scared and bullied into taking these medications and are never given the opportunity to look at it from what you may, one may describe as an abstract perspective, but you have to, there's something to be said for the fact that some of the greatest artists of our history were considered to be sufferers of mental illness and that the, some of their greatest works came, things that hang in people's houses, hang in museums, sell for millions upon millions of dollars today were created from the minds of a person who also, if they lived today, would be medicated into obscurity. That, and that may be true, but significant amounts of art are drawn from pain, from the breadth of the human experience. And the question becomes, is that pain worth the art? And if you ask an individual person, their answer is probably going to be, fuck no. You're making some wild assumptions with that, though. All, the reason that I enjoy things like Black Box is because this takes a perspective on the scenario that allows for a person to ask themselves that question and, and, and shows the struggle of that person asking themselves that question. And I am... I, I live with a first-hand account of a, a mental illness sufferer. I see these sorts of things on a frequent basis. I do, too. And I would say that all sides of this need to be taken into consideration during a treatment plan. And I understand that. My issue with it is that that is most depictions of medicated mental illness are that. you like That you're better when you don't have it. Yes. Wouldn't you say, then, that it, there's an argument that most people feel that they would be better, that they are their best selves, selves when they are not medicated. No, because from most people I know who have mental illness, who are medicated, they feel they are able to be themselves when medicated. Medication doesn't only let you feel happy, like is often depicted in most things. It simply allows you to feel happy. It, it allows you to start at neutral instead of starting two notches down. It allows you to start at a socially accepted baseline. Yeah, instead of when I wake up, I wake up feeling like everything is terrible. And I work my way up to being excited for the day and being happy to be to work. But it starts under acceptable. It, like, not even, like, socially acceptable. Like, I don't want to get out of bed. I would rather just lay here and rot. But I know I can't do that, 
so I work my way up to being neutral. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Hollywood is going to zero in on mania because it's sexier than the other sides of things. But I don't know that I would agree that that's the only depiction. I mean, it is the it is the predominant depiction. I, I, I even think that that's a little bit of hyperbole because you have things like Girl Interrupted that give you, and that's one of the most prolific films that deals with mental illness that you will ever see. And have you seen the film? I have not seen that. Okay, so Girl Interrupted stars Angelina Jolie. Okay. I want to say Winona Ryder is one of the other big okay, names. Okay, I, I, I am aware. And there's a couple of other fairly large names. Robert Downey Jr., I'm pretty sure, is in it as well. Okay. This is from back in the late 80s. But it takes a real hard look at, like, at mental illness and the impact that that can have on people's lives. Fair. Now, it's Hollywood, so there are certain things that are in hyperbole. But this takes a yeah. legitimate look. It's not just about mania. Okay. I just got through watching Split. Okay. First of all... Holy shit, was that movie awesome. I've heard it's good. Oh my goodness. James Ma- McAvoy, my man. Yeah. Like, oh my God, was he's, that good. He's he really was, good. Now, he did, he, they didn't portray all 23 sides of the personality, first of no, all. No, just a couple of them to make it weird and then the dangers. They talked about quite a few of them, yeah. but he didn't actually portray all 23 sides. But when he yeah. was, like, shifting through them, like, it was, whew, it was crazy. Yeah. Oh, that was a really poor choice of wording. But it was awesome. It was exciting. Yeah, I, I, anyway, it was exciting. Um, did not portray it in the way that you're suggesting. Um, I'm just trying to go through it and think about, uh, Patch Adams. Patch Adams touches on mental illness, does not portray it as if mania is sexy and pills just make you not sexy. Well, one, one of the big ones that I can think of that does, uh, you have instances of, um, what is it, uh, I can't remember the name of it, uh, it stars Zach Braff, he's playing a college kid, uh, or a kid who went to college, uh, Garden State, Garden State, uh, who was mentally ill and was medicated during his like teenage years, uh, and goes out of the way to be like, no, don't be on medication; it just makes you numb. And that is, from what I have seen, the much more common depiction of people with mental illness who are medicated. And it's, I think that that may uh, have been uh, more of what they were doing, like early two thousands. But there have been much more serious, legitimate looks. I don't know. I guess my biggest, the biggest issue I'm taking with what you're saying is that you feel that it's the overwhelming majority of depictions of mental illness, and I can't agree with that. It, in my experience, they are. The, I will add that. That, that changes literally everything you yeah. just said. <laughs> but, but again, that is my experience. That is most of what I see, is medication is described in media as well as from people who talk about it is described as changing who you are. Well, it, I, th- I don't think anybody would disagree that that's what it does. It, it, but it, it doesn't. It just allows you to be you. I think that it depends dramatically on the illness that it's treating, though. And Which, for the illness that Catherine Black was suffering from in Black Box, it changed her personality. I, and in... Um, uh, I had another one I wanted to talk about. Shit, I lost it. Well, it's like, for instance, ah. okay, so we have um, bipolar disorder. Previously, it was commonly known as manic depression. Uh, it was oftentimes misdiagnosed as manic depression. Well, yeah. just called. Uh, manic, de- manic depressive as a diagnosis doesn't exist anymore because right. it is an aspect of bipolar disorder. Um, manic During manic episodes, one of the, for instance, one of the things that people don't talk about or don't know about manic depressive episodes is that manic episodes are the instances where people are, for instance, more likely to commit suicide, not depressive episodes. Right. Because your uh, inhibition 
is lowered. Mm -hmm. Your uh, decision-making process is compromised. You are more impulsive. And so people are more likely to go, huh, I should kill myself. Bang, done. Also, more often than not, when you're manic, you have a, a very stark realization that you feel great and that it's going to come to an end. Which and they can, don't want to reach those lows. Which can be a, another serious problem. So, like, uh, even in manic states, so maybe you can get more done or feel better, feel really excited for a while, but those extremes are a problem. Like, those wild extremes of highs and lows... Uh, it's it's like in dieting, you know. People tell you you don't want to work eight hours a day for one week and then work zero hours a day and consume five thousand calories for the next week. That's not balance. That's oscillation. Yeah, totally. and that's dangerous. And it's the same for emotional states. It's similar uh, for emotional states. I just a lack think that... a lack of control. Yeah, is a, is generally a bad thing for emotional states and medication doesn't stop you from feeling happy it just gives you control over whether you are happy it i think it allows you to have greater control over your emotions but yeah. i enjoy the existential uh aspect of the idea that a person with a mental illness can while they are suffering probably suffering more often than not it also has the potential to unlock things that medication will block from you and, and that is absolutely depicted, but it's actual. It is also absolutely a true to life scenario. I've seen it with a family member, and that, who was. And again, I I know I'm not trying to violate the principle that a no. singular experience discredits the general experience. But but, but colloquially, I have colloquial seen, evidence. I have is personally important. seen a family member who um, medicated their child because their child. I'm now granted, dude was rough, like. Even as a little kid, like, he was really difficult to handle. Uh, medicated him to the point where he became one of, like, the zombie kids on, on crazy strong meds. Which, granted, there's an adjustment period. But it totally changed his personality. He used to draw, he used to, you know, he used to get into... And I think I focus on art because artistic expression is oftentimes so dramatically dampened by these medications... Because it allows you to perform and exist and live within a particular baseline uh, and, and choose where you travel above or below that baseline to a degree, as much as anybody can, with balanced chemicals, can choose. But it totally changed his personality. And he actually eventually ended up taking himself off of the medication because he hated the way it made him feel. Which, now, that is a true-to-life, potentially extreme scenario well th that experience isn't necessarily abnormal but one of the pro things is that there is a process to medicating mental illness uh you may have to try different medications and and it's important to keep communicating say with a mental health professional to make sure that you are communicating properly and that they understand the sy the symptoms you are undergoing with new medication uh without it the differences and to help you maybe change dosage, maybe change medication, uh, because different medications are used for different things, uh, and can certain things can have similar symptoms but require different medications, and depending on your reactions to them, can help to narrow a diagnosis to something that needs a different medication, or can help to expand diagnoses, and these are important steps. But having 
the portrayal of medication and mental illness as having problems means you shouldn't do it is something I have uh, take some issue with because enough people already are afraid of a mental illness diagnosis or don't seek it because they don't want to be medicated that I feel like it is detrimental. And understanding that you may have negative side effects, but that's you can continue to move on. You can find a new process. Uh, there, there is a process to it that you can continue to get better even if one medication causes a problem. I think that's important to know. Like it is no, I don't disagree with you. I just also think that a lot of your opinion is extrapolated from a personal perspective from what you're consuming, which is part of art. It's part of films. I just I don't know that the well, also my I don't own, know that they trumpet the message the way that you're portraying it that all meds are bad. Okay, um, I, I I just don't think that that's the the overwhelming message. I certainly would agree that it does happen, but. You know, I, I, another example that comes to mind comes from Next to Normal, which is it was a show that uh, a, a musical that I had the privilege of being able to perform in, and the way that they portrayed the dance with medication was first of all fairly legitimate, but second of all the reaction of the mental illness sufferer Diana in that uh, in that film in that show. It's fairly true to life as well. And one of the things that she discussed was when she finally decided she wasn't going to take her medicine anymore. And (laughs) I need to backpedal a little bit before we get to that specific spot. One of the, there was a a song in that called My My, uh, Psychopharmacologist and I. Great song, phenomenal song. But really talked and showed the general attitude toward, I put into quotations, improving mental illness when she went, came back and talked about all of the side effects that she was experiencing. And once again, I need to drill in that this, to my research, to my knowledge, speaking with mental illness sufferers who saw the show, this is the pervasive attitude within the mental health community, okay? So she comes in, she says, I have these side effects. Okay, we'll make an adjustment. Oh, this is how I'm feeling. Okay, we'll make an adjustment. When she comes in and she says, all the she's, um, it's this real upbeat song, all the music dies down, she says, I feel nothing. The song ends with the doctor saying, patient stable. And then, eventually, you get to this point where she's singing this song called I Miss the Mountains. I miss the highs and lows, I miss the breathtaking heights, things like that. And she makes the decision to dump her meds down the toilet because she misses feeling. That is the real-life version of what most people are experiencing. Not everybody. Maybe I, not the people you know. Maybe not the people I know. But the, but the folks that I've spoken with, the reaction that I've read from this portrayal of this life experience, that is... That is real. I feel nothing. Patient stable. And then they are just left. Exactly. There, now, there's no, there, there is no, there's no continued advancement. Right. Uh, I very know. much so, very strongly, with my personal experience, 
I in no way, shape, or form want to say that I think that a person shouldn't get help, shouldn't continue talking with their doctor, shouldn't continue trying to improve themselves, because if you're fucking healthy, I, if you have no mental illness, I think you should continue to try to improve yourself and your own personal, your, be your personal best. I think that it's very important to see your doctor, to talk to your doctor, all that stuff. But what I'm talking about is just the artistic portrayal of these particular situations. And, I and, think that that and again, is... I just really enjoy that existential look at um, the intersection the of mental illness and creativity. And creativity and, and that how thought process they are that, oftentimes yeah. not only linked but the same. Uh, yeah, at the very least linked. Oftentimes they can seem like one creates the other. I can, and I definitely And that was that. one of the running themes in Split was that um, the doctor that was working with uh, the main character... Mental illness is kind of a superpower in that. What if and these individuals have experienced this trauma, but the trauma has allowed their brains to function in such a way that they have actually Advanced. evolved... Because when you believe, and, and we're going to get super existential here, but we've heard crazy stories, right, about people who can lift cars, and people from an adrenaline rush, yeah, and people who just can do things on a level that most people cannot, and some of it is training, and, and, but a lot of it is just that they've decided that they're going to do it. And it took a look at... What if they, through experiencing this trauma, have unlocked a part of the brain that's the next step in human evolution? A lot of these people have entirely different dialects of language. They can speak with different accents. They have totally different personalities. They are totally different people and have abilities. Uh, they even discussed, I don't know if there's any basis in fact to this, but she discussed somebody having two different personalities and each hand was able to write in a completely different handwriting. Which is... A potential thing, but, uh, and... And I don't think that that movie took away anything from saying that therapy was important, that medication therapy, if your doctor says it's important, is important. Um, and I wonder how many times I can say important. Uh, and I definitely do recognize the importance of depictions such as Next to Normal. Like, the fact that mental illness is an illness. It is a medical issue that is so generally pervasive and ongoing and our understanding of neurology is really bad we are really trying but it's, it's so complex true. and chemicals are weird <laughs> and, and the brain is specifically is, brain chemicals yeah, and the weird. brain is weirder chemicals yeah uh and it it is a process and i'm by no means like saying that we shouldn't have those depictions but in my experience and in the experience of a lot of people who i've talked to that is the pervasive view that they see of mental illness. It's it it's often treated as this is a fun quirk that with medication you just lose the spark for, which is great. It can be damaging. Unless you're the person who gets so frustrated by being beaten in a video game that you regularly smash thousands of dollars in computer equipment because you can't deal with the stress of feeling like a loser. Because I know people who deal with that. Well, okay, but what does the medication take away from that person other than their violent tendencies? N not, not smashing thousands of dollars in computers, which exactly. is important. So how do they relate to a story like Catherine Black from Black Box, who in her manic state is able to cure an incurable disease because of her medical training and her ability to think around corners that, she normally, that normally is dampened? How do they relate to that? 
because how does that how does that to them say oh well the medication must be bad for me too because I smash controllers because there is a there is a tendency in a lot of media to portray mental illness with some of the side effects but view it almost as like a fun quirk instead of as a problem instead of like things that are debilitating and leave you unable to interact with people or unable to stop picking at your skin until you bleed and things like that so like it it is not the idea that medication isn't good for everyone because that's true medication isn't good for everyone but medication is generally not a solution for people for whom their mental illness is an inconvenience not for whom their mental illness is a problem yeah that's and, fair and that is the depiction that does it was just that that does not get shown and it's like I have I have friends who legitimately have are, are on the autism spectrum are diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum and they deal with the legitimate struggles of that. But autism is also used colloquially as an excuse for being a douche. By whom? Well, so you're speaking of a particular individual and, who isn't actually diagnosed. Uh, and people at large. A large number of people on the internet use autism either as slang for being a dick... Oh, or, I see what you're saying. Or, so people are misappropriating the... Or yeah. people will say, I'm autistic, to excuse dickish behavior, even if they are not autistic. Or if they are and are using their autism as an excuse to not... Sure. Uh, ...deal with it. Okay. Uh, and that is... That's... It, it is a combination of issues like that. It's the fact that oh, people who are who have mental illnesses shouldn't need their medication because it's just stifling them because most depictions of mental illness are on the incredibly mild side of mental illness as a debilitating factor. I guess I can kind of see where you're coming from with that. I, guess, it, I just, I just well, in, my, in my experience with the things that I've seen, I mean, it you, doesn't fit that bill. I mean, you have that example. Like, one of your examples is, when I'm manic... I am a world-class medical surgeon. Well, okay, and so to when be I'm fair, on medi and when I'm on my medication, I'm boring. Well, but like, that so I think you misunderstood the way that it was portrayed. Plus you didn't see the series and maybe I didn't do fair. a great job explaining it. So let me go back on some of the things that I had said originally and restate those so that we're both on the same page. Okay. She is a world-renowned, I'm fairly certain. She works at one of the top institutions in the nation yeah. as a neuroscientist Yes, when she's medicated, period. Yes. She exists at the upper even, echelons. Even when medicated. Even when medicated, she but when exists. when unmedicated, in, she's yeah, able on. to escalate. So she, she exists at the upper echelons of her field and is successful and well-respected in her field when medicated. She can also exist in polite company, wears her clothes the way that they're supposed to be worn, um, brushes her hair, does the things that, that a person should do to exist in polite company, as the rules have been set forth by our fucking society. When she is unmedicated, she is inhibit, uninhibited, which has, as I had stated earlier, can lead to promiscuity. Um, I didn't say that earlier, but she makes some dangerous decisions um, because she her inhibitions are wildly lowered. 
Uh, she becomes way more erratic. She does make some questionable... Like they, they clearly portray how this is very dangerous. However, she also feels, because of the manic state, and this is fairly true for most people who experience extreme mania, which is what they explain this and portray this as within the television okay, series, fair. that her mania is extreme, she can see in colors. And I know that that seems like a strange thing to say, but understand that her eyes are perceiving everything around her to be awash in color. Oh, okay. She doesn't see the grass is green, the trees are green with brown, the sky is blue. She'll see everything as if it's been splattered with a paintbrush. Okay. So she'll she'll perceive colors a little psychedelic. Almost psychedelic, exactly. And while this while there are very real dangers to this, she chooses to do it because it also allows her to think in very unconventional methods. And then the limited control she has over that allows her to use that to her advantage. I, there are other things that take place that are, and again, maybe okay. I just didn't explain this very well. And that's fair, but in my experience with the people who I know who have more severe mental illness, when you have severe episodes like that, you don't have control. Like for most people no, who you have, have very severe mental control, for, that's very true. For most people who have severe mental illness, one, it's not a constant stream of that state. Those manic episodes, obviously, but, there's ups and downs. Yeah, and, yeah. But for instance, you you don't know when it's going to happen, so Fair. you have no control over that. Uh, and when it does, you don't have control of it. That's the whole like point of it being a mental illness is that you don't have control of it. It just happens. And that's generally when you are least capable of realizing you are in a fit. Sure. In, in an instance of I guess at, at the risk of being redundant, my problem with your problem is that <laughs> A, we have to recognize that with it being Hollywood, we can only get so much authenticity before we have to pepper it up with some sexy. It's fair. And but B, we see that a lot in comic books and various things, creative media that try sure. to use mental illness as an analogy or use... A spe- you actually see a lot in comic books because you attempt to use fantastical situations uh have to powers yeah powers yeah superpowers are often used as analogies for mental illness i am actually writing a comic book series that literally does exactly that thing yeah but in addition to that you also have to take into you you derailed me and i'm trying to remember what b was uh fuck that this is a real experience for some people like it it's all gone now (laughs) sorry uh, but no, I, I do recognize that it is an important depiction that people should be familiar with. I just... What the hell was the first thing I said? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> We're both lost on God it. damn it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I uh, yeah, so anyway, so it's just... Um, why do I, dis- I disagree with what, with what you disagree? Oh, there it is. B- part B is that even if the every single depiction is exactly as you said, and they do, and it does... Uh, by proxy, encourage or discourage the use of medication. Before any person with a mental illness could take that to heart and say, hey, that's that's me, they would have to be able to identify with the character that's being portrayed, with the illness that's being portrayed. Because it's saying this thing, right, is is why this is bad. But if, and again, I'm only kind of harping on your example because it's the one that you gave. If you have character who paints masterpieces during their manic episodes... And they're saying, this is what I do when I'm not on my medication, which is why I think taking my medication is bad. 
that does not relate to the guy who smashes thousands of dollars worth compu of computers when he gets pissed off because he can't control himself. But and they're not going to identify with that character. And if they do, then they have a whole different gamut of issues that they have but, to deal with. But that's with. the thing: when you are dealing with mental illness, <coughs> you are not in a right state of mind, and you are more likely to make these illogical leaps. I mean, I guess that's just it, that's just that's not just an illogical leap, though. That's like, that, but but it is. I mean, like, that's that's a are, that's just completely uh, well, especially out there. if especially if you have say the mental illness being portrayed. Well, yes, but you're also you're, taking away go, what I said and twisting it down a totally different path. No, I understand the point you're making. Like, why would someone identify with this character if they likewise do not have an incredible ability that is lost when they're on medication? And the answer is. A lot of uh, one people think they are way better than they are a lot of times. Like they, a lot of people would rather think I can be great if I just stop being on my medication. That's fine. I'm just waiting to discover this incredible yeah. gift that my that my medication is stopping me from. And as and as soon as I stop it, I'll get that gift. Yep, that's and a fair that's point. the that's one of the dangerous parts of it. Because I don't know that you can blame that on the portrayal of the character in the movie though. I. That has a lot more to do with the same reason that most poor people think they're one day away from being as rich as Donald Trump. Which is fair, but... Like, like it's got a lot more to do with our societal conditioning from other sources and not just characters that are portrayed with mental illness in. But, but I can see how it can contribute. Yeah, and it's... I would concede to that. It is, it is a dangerous thing to not consider. That's what I will say. It is a dangerous thing to not consider when you are portraying mental illness... And it's so I guess what it really comes down to is I would defy you to develop some examples of the portrayal that you... Because I've sat here and provided at no fewer than three, uh, just in recent memory, that offer a realistic uh, portrayal of both sides of that coin. Um, also, Gothica. While a little bit more on the supernatural side, I'll even say quite a bit more on the supernatural side, also strongly portrayed a great deal of mental illness and didn't do so from the perspective of medication makes you bad. That was, I mean, that was a fucking horror film. Yeah. But still. But again, um, Gar Garden State has a big problem with it. Um, I honestly have not seen Garden State, so I can't comment to that one way or the other. Um, uh, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Sorry. Fair enough. Well, it's something we could potentially come back to. That's fair. Alright, so... Groovy. Uh, the other nickname, by the way, was... I don't know how we got from nicknames to mental illness. That, that was one hell of a jump. I'm not I sure. Uh, when I got nicknamed... Uh, Tigger. Ma Magnum. Tigger. Oh, yeah, Magnum. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I don't have <laughs> enough space for that backstory. Second yeah. of all, it's not a story that anybody needs to go into. No. Uh, but third of all, I'm not going to be writing that on a government forum. <laughs> Could you just see that, uh, reading the last will and testament? Jeremy the Magnum Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, three people in the crowd just bust up laughing, and no one else has any clue why. No idea what's going on here. <laughs> oh, God, that's hilarious. What's even more hilarious is the idea that I'll have a last will and testament that will be read out to anybody of... <laughs> I'm taking everything with me! Build me a sarcophagus... Put it inside of a fucking pyramid. Good to <laughs> First go, of all, man. build a pyramid. Like, there are several steps that will be led up to this, and I probably would have stopped you at some point. Nah, Jeremy, man. Jeremy, Jeremy, why? Why, Jeremy? No, honestly, all joking aside, uh, 
so my significant other has been watching a YouTuber, YouTuber, who's a mortician. Okay. Super what's called death positive, and she so she talks she kind of pierces the veil if you will, on a lot of bullshit that the death industry, and yes, you heard me, there is an industry for this, there's an industry oh, for absolutely. everything, but the death industry shares with you, and a lot of the things that we take for granted as truth and law that the funeral home directors tell you must happen, almost none of it has to happen. Oh, yeah. And all of it costs a tremendous amount of money and you as the next of kin of a deceased individual have so many rights to be able to exercise in that scenario and are guilted so hard by the say mortician unabashedly guilty on un, a just un unrepentantly you are made to feel terrible if you do not spend more money on your former loved one's dead body yep yeah, so like, let's so let's break this down on a real level, and I brought this up for a reason. Uh, I don't want to go into a pyramid or a sarcophagus or a mausoleum. I actually want to be um, ecologically buried. I'm thinking I actually want to be turned into a tree. Uh, cremate me. It's a thing. Fine. It's a thing. Well, but that's a waste, and it costs a tremendous amount of money. You can literally be turned into mulch, and then they're gonna put you in the soil with a tree, and then you'll be a tree, and then you're a fucking tree, bro. <laughs> like. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be a tree. It would just be a tree that grew from my body. Exactly. You're part of the tree. <laughs> you're part of it. You're part of the circle of life. And then your tree will grow and it will create oxygen. And then people I mean, will I, breathe you forever, Colby. I definitely uh, have considered like uh, ecological burials where it's just like they dig a six foot hole and your body goes into it. And that's yeah, it. so like you don't need to be embalmed. In fact, it's awful for the environment for you oh, to be embalmed. Oh my god! In embalming and modern burial practices, uh, first of all, coffins coffins are pointless in their extravagance. Oh, they really are. Like, and they're terrible for the ground they're put into. Oh, and and uh, a a process known as putrefaction occurs in a, an yep. isolated environment without airflow. Essentially, your body turns to liquid. Yep. It's disgusting. Yep. And considering that most of your body, when when you are prepared at a mortician, by a mortician, most of your body is gone. You are basically skin, the flesh and bone, and yep. you are stuffed with cotton, and your eyes are sewn shut. I don't think they do that anymore. Yeah, they do. You get stuffed with cotton so that you don't collapse. Blurk. Yup. It's real gross and incredibly un. What is the word I'm looking for? It dis it unrespectful. Like it's disrespectful. It's, it, yeah, it is disrespectful in a disturbing way. Like the amount of things that the human body goes through during embalming. In the interest of full disclosure, I have not watched any of these videos. I've kind of been around while they've been on and we've had discussions about these but you even have rights as far as being able to go in and you can put the makeup on your loved one dress your loved one you don't you shouldn't have them embalmed you don't need to buy a big ass fancy casket you can dig the fucking hole yourself yeah to throw your person into oh yeah uh as far as preservation we have freezers specifically for yep. keeping dead bodies uncorrupted like you put them in the god in the goddamn cooler. That's what you do until you're ready to go, man. That's all. That's all that's gotta yeah, happen. That's all. You, that's all you do, and it is 
not only as safe, it is safer, and then you don't have incredibly toxic chemicals leaking from your dead body for centuries to come. And if you look at graveyards, you can actually see, I mean, they do manicure them fairly well nowadays, but you can usually see older parts of the cemetery versus newer parts. The older parts are more vibrant, they're more lush, and you think, oh, well, yeah, there's been dead bodies decaying in there. But examine that sentence for a moment. There have been dead bodies decaying in there. And, and they used to be in literal pine boxes that were held huh? together with nails. So your body and bugs get in there and they eat. And your body can get out. Mm -hmm. And, like, that doesn't happen in the, in the coffin. And then there are so, so, so many instances. I mean, for of, those who don't know, coffins, like, modern coffins made of, like, steel and in, emblazoned yeah. with gold can cost tens of thousands of dollars alone. And there's no reason for there, it. And there just isn't. The I mean, number of people are definitely take people who the like... valuables out of the coffins before they get to the burial site. Oh, boy. I don't even want to get in. Oh, man. And you can actually legally stay with your loved one's corpse, uh, their, their remains, until they are buried and then actually buried. You can even bury them yourself. I mean, some of those things are difficult. You don't just want to go, heave-ho, and throw the thing down <laughs> because it's probably going to open up if you do that. But, yeah, yeah so it's the, the death industry... Oh, and this chick has gotten death threats. Oh, I'm sure. From morticians. Like, you're telling them the secrets of our trade. It's yeah, almost because the like, secrets of your trade are abusive. It's really, it just makes me angry because a person, especially if the death was unexpected. My father died very unexpectedly. And the funeral cost us $6,000. My, my father didn't have life insurance. We were, we were always very poor. So the money was not there to be able to do this. And they essentially took advantage of us in our time of, of, of deep, hard grief, unexpected grief. There's no level of preparedness for the death of a loved one. Even if you see it coming from a mile away, it still, you still hurts. it still and hurts like hell. But when it's unexpected, you're still dealing with the shock. And, and they at, fucking at that point, rush you're, you. You're reeling, and if you are unprepared, say monetarily, now you are reeling, didn't have things prepared, and are easier to take advantage of because you didn't, say, sit down with someone and plan out, like, this is how I want to be treated. So the and way that people are taken advantage of, swindled, and lied to, and sold... And that environment is just... And I... The death industry uh, is definitely an easy one to take advantage of because of the nature of it. Like, people are unconsoled. Their loved ones have died. I just it don't see easy. how you can feel okay with yourself in a situation like that. I agree, but... And I say these words, and they're very strong words, and I have some people. And there's a possibility that somebody who works in this industry may even end up listening to this. And when I say somebody... Obviously, there's a possibility that anybody who works in the industry could hear this. I know someone personally yes. who could end up listening to this. And I don't mean to say any of these things to be insulting. Because the fact remains that while on some level you may be aware of this, you may also not have looked at it from the perspective that I am presently looking at it from. Yeah. You may just accept this as part of our society and you're just getting yours. That's just and, part of your industry. You yeah, know, that's and, what and that's you acceptable. Um, and you may not practice these things... The same way that everybody does. But, or maliciously. Right. You may just be trying to provide the best service possible and take these things off. Because also, let's look at this from the other side of the coin. If I'm a mortician, I want to make sure that this person's remains are preserved and respected by my best tools that I have available to me. So I'm going to tell you 
because you are still a salesman, and so sales has a sale has to take place. This is the best package mm-hmm. that I have for you to best take care of your loved one, preserve them properly, and, and get them to the place at the end of the day that you need them to be. And like, I'm imagining Bob talking with us on this one, uh, looking at the outside perspective. There is also the fact that like, a lot of people still want those things done. Like, right, they're, it, they're, like right. they are not necessarily like swindling people into doing things that they don't want to do, they are just going along with what people think needs done. So, so it, that it, right there is my biggest issue. The yeah, lack of education, lack of, is lack of the of truth of the situation, yeah. and when you are a mortician, and I may be using the incorrect terminology, when you run a funeral home and you perform these funeral services, things like that. if you don't understand the environmental impact, the negative and severe environmental impact that you're creating with your fucking profession... You're choosing to be ignorant. Yeah. Uh, And likewise, I feel like it's just an education point that is, it's difficult to broach in America. Because death is so taboo. Yeah. Death is treated as a no-go. Like, you are not allowed to talk about it. It's, it's turned off. It's shut away. that's why I love Gary Vaynerchuk. Who? Get, how are we friends? Uh... Well, I could go down a large number of reasons. We could probably have an entire podcast just on how. So we're Gary V, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk or Vaynerchuk, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. He runs, um, he runs uh, what is it? V Media, uh, amazing entrepreneur. Okay. And motivational um, speaker, whether he means to be or not. What he does with his Instagram, his podcast, and things like that is he tries to encourage people the best way that he can to get the fuck off their asses and get going, and. I'll never forget one of my favorite videos I've ever seen. Somebody came up to his car because they recognized him and he rolled Uh the window down. He's like, hey, what's up? And she was like, listen, can you give me uh, one sentence to get me going when I'm having a bad day? He's like, one sentence? Sure. You're going to fucking die. That should be motivational as hell. You're going to die someday. Get up. Forget about what people are telling you. Forget about the reasons it's not going to work. Get up and get it done. Get to work. When you, you, we live in a world, one of the, he was giving a talk recently and I saw this video and he said, we live in a world right now where you can work from nine to five. Back in the seventies, the internet didn't exist. Your, your grandparents, they got up, they went to work and that's what they did. And that's what they knew. Now you can work from nine to five. You can come home and work from seven to two. And, and you can, the internet allows that. We have the power to do that. So you can work your nine to five to pay your bills and, and take care of your debt until you can build out whatever else you're trying to do. But the only reason, there's no reason for you not to be doing this other shit. You've got all this time. Stop watching fucking Game of Thrones. Stop worrying about what your broke-ass brother-in-law is saying about you. Get the fuck up and get some shit done. And that's what I love about that guy is he's just like, he's taking the idea of death and he's like, this shit's gonna happen. You get one at bat. You get one chance to get up and make something out of this life. What are you doing? Oh, absolutely. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, man. Like, every time (laughs) I watch 15 seconds of this guy, I'm like, I'm gonna go fucking take over the world. (laughs) Sorry for your ears. (laughs) Uh, yeah no that's definitely a a thing that i consider a lot i consider what legacy i'm gonna leave and that's something that definitely should be considered you know the idea of death is not a bad thing 
death is it's not... It's just part of life, man. Yeah, and it, no matter what, it's probably always going to be at least somewhat a scary thing. Because yeah. we really have no verifiable way, regardless of what your faith is, and this is in no way disrespecting anybody's faith, Yeah. but we have no verifiable way of knowing exactly what's going to happen when we die. Exactly, and that's why it's faith. And then I'm a if, writer, if, I'm a fiction writer, So and, and sometimes I write spooky shit, Yeah. and sometimes I start to wonder, what if we're just stuck? Yeah. Ah, I'm a claustrophobic dude, which is part uh, of the reason I want to be cremated. And also, <laughs> fun, uh, fun joke that I like to tell about death, um, when I die, I would like my remains to be scattered over Disneyland. Also, I don't want to be cremated. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, but I, uh, what, what if you're stuck? What if you're like tied to this corporeal form forever? With just like the basest, like sentience, like you are just aware, not of anything. You're just aware. You're just aware just that there. you're dead and you're stuck and you can't do anything. Uh huh. And like, so your brain eventually rots. So how does your consciousness continue to, you know, or what if it's just over, man? Like I, that stuff is I just mean, so, so scary to me. It is. It's a, it's a tough thing to think about. I mean, my perspective on it is I, I think it's over. Like I really do. It, for you me, think once the lights go out, the lights are out. You're done. It, that's all. Consciousness is just a perception of the world around you. And when your body's gone, your perception stops. Here's the thing about that, though. Consciousness is a form of energy, and we know so little about the energy that takes place in our brain and what the proverbial soul may be or what have you. That, And we also, what else, what do we know about? Uh, oh, that's matter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even, even then, like, the idea, is consciousness energy? Like, we have talked... It is a form of energy. I, I was going to say, we've talked before, though, about the fact that, say, memory is not a physical structure of your brain, Consciousness. We might not have a written definition of what style, what kind, what molecular type of energy consciousness is, but consciousness is absolutely a form of energy. Well, uh, we can at least be sure of that. But can we? It's the it, it's coming back to the idea: is consciousness a driving force, or is it a resultant factor? Is consciousness just what happens when neurons? Oh yeah, that's a fair point. And that and that's the perspective I honestly take. That consciousness is just a resultant factor of the universe happening and life. So, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I have developed some pretty strong coping mechanisms for a great many things. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody death does. is not one of them. Gotcha. Uh, and so my coping mechanism for death, uh, as well as many of the shitty, shitty, shitty things that have happened to me in my life and continue to happen to me in my life, um, somewhere along the line I decided that I was a Christian. And I have carried that with me. Now, my definition of what that means for me and in my life has been malleable and has changed. Thank God has it changed <laughs> since I was a teenager. Uh, I, at one point in my life, I was a very conservative Christian, and I was very, I was very different than I am today. So my perspective on the world has changed dramatically, but the idea, um, the idea that there is an intelligent being who has, at the very least, designed most things... I, there's a lot of people who feel like God has a hand in literally everything that happens. And I think that that's true to an extent. A lot of my personal viewpoints and beliefs on it, and these are not based in, you know, biblical like facts. Or, this is just personal observation and things that make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Are like, he, set up, he Every- set up the Rube Goldberg machine, <laughs> and then, but then the fucker just does what it does. Uh, I... Uh, a phrase that I've heard describe it is everybody needs a little woo. If you don't yeah. know, 
Wu is used to describe anything that is superstitious or religious. It's your uh, ability to explain the unexplained. Yeah, it, it's your the the belief in ghosts or you uh, you follow astrological signs. Ghost later episode. Uh, or you follow astrological signs, or you go to chiropractors, or you do, or, or you do, like... Hey, you stop right there. Chiropract the chiropractic medicine may essentially be a pseudoscience, but it has helped millions of people. It, it often goes along with other woo. I'm using chiropractor, chiropractics as an industry, not as an individual practice. How can you do that? Because much of every chiropractor I've ever been to and know of people going to also, like, sell homeopathic water treatment where there was a single drop of oil in this vat of water 20 years ago and they just add more water to it, but the water remembers the oil. Uh, I put quotes there, by the way. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So I will say that my personal experience <laughs> with chiropractic work, um, my landlord is actually a chiropractor. Okay. Uh, so a little bit of this may be colored by that bias okay. because I don't want to have to move again <laughs> for now. I don't want to have to move you again. <laughs> uh, have you noticed, by the way, we've been downsizing dramatically. There's still so much shit in my house. Yeah, anyway. I get it. I, I, I've, I've had to do the same. So I actually choose to believe... This a little bit of this comes into my feelings and beliefs in Christianity as well. Okay. So one of the things, so I'm going to kind of segue a little bit. It one of the things that the the Bible teaches us, um, and we can debate how legitimate that is uh, at another time, is that one of the basic tenements, if you will, is that God created all humans in His image. Okay. There is a thought exercise or or a school of thought that exists that God created man in his image and therefore man has the the slight ability to create left within them that's fair uh, and that, this that is ties very... very strongly into the whole idea of manifestation and yeah, no, that, so on and so uh, forth that is that is definitely uh a good theological point that actually has a basis in a lot of theology um we don't know and what I, we and can I, do as people i cannot remember the name of this principle but there is the idea a thought form there's the idea of thought forms that human beings and human thought and their perception of things creates that thing. Or, yes, absolutely. Uh, or that there is, and more than that, there is a core identity of a thing that exists. Uh, Banjo! For, uh, for instance, well, actually it's used a lot to describe things like Superman. There is a core existence of Superman somewhere, somehow, in existence. And that's how, despite the fact that Superman is a fictional character that has been written thousands of different ways across a hundred years, you still know when something is Superman. Okay. Or isn't Superman. When something tra strays too far away from that core identity or philosophy. Right. That that thing isn't that thing anymore. Um, uh, you can you can see in a lot of different media actually in depictions. Uh, American Gods is one of my favorite examples of this. Oh my God, it's so good! If you I haven't want to watch it, some uh, red. If you haven't read American Gods, oh. if you haven't watched American Gods, do it. It's so good. Uh, I really want to. It, it is fantastic. Um, but you know that that comes into play in a lot of theology is the idea that human thought has power. Yeah, uh, it and, and uh, an so effect. I was using that to describe the idea that, in my personal experience with, within a chiropractic um, office, uh, I, I actually have some feelings that some um, homeopathy, yeah, 
homeopathy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it can be effective. Now, I'm not saying if you have metastasized cancer that a shaman's going to roll up with a Himalayan salt lamp and everything's going to be cool. We're not, I'm not trying to drink, drink this apple cider vinegar. I'm saying. Clear it out of your system. I think that apple cider vinegar with the mother has a tremendous health benefit to it. I think that a lot of it is pseudoscience. I think that your overall well-being can be improved by consuming this uh, semi-regularly and diluted properly. I think I think that some of that can be uh, placebo effect. I think a lot. Which, but which but the placebo bad. effect say, does have legitimate effect the, on your the, the placebo effect is a thing, and essentially it's the idea of having ritual, having something that you right. do gives your body and your mind the sense that it is doing something right. And but you also have to remember help. that there are certain things that have been done historically that were attributed to pseudoscience or homeopathy that ended up having basis in scientific fact. We just didn't fucking know it yet. We, and that's fair. And that's why there are, there are institutes all over the planet that research homeopathic remedies. And they that's why really I put the brakes on your idea with the chiropractic thing, yeah. because while it started... I actually, I listened to a podcast called Science Versus, and it's done by Gimlet Media, and I'm totally okay. plugging the shit out of them right now, so I should let them know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, th um, this this uh, woman with an Australian accent, who, so I'm assuming she's in Australia, uh, or or is from. Was it Australian or New Zealand? No, no, she actually made that distinction okay. and is Australian. Okay. Apparently they're so close, but there's certain distinctions I, about them. I can actually tell them apart fairly easily, but it's because I immersed myself impossibly in uh <laughs> small segue uh i love the lord of the rings and uh i often as a young adult teenager adult did not have cable or any other form and one of the only dvds that was in my home was the original special edition dvd box set of the lord of the rings fellowship of the ring ah. that came with a special what in it was called the appendices for it uh but it was actually a documentary called uh, There and Back Again, The Story of Lord of the Rings. And I watched that DVD raw. <laughs> it, I burned a hole in that disc, uh, and Weta Workshop was the production studio, the creative studio that did a lot of the effects, and it was based in New Zealand. And so I listened to dozens of native New Zealanders talking, and so can identify that accent exceptionally well to the point where I was working in a radio shack in Philadelphia during college and a man came in with what I immediately detected was a dual Australian and New Zealand accent. I could tell he had both. And I asked him... Boy, that had to be difficult. Well, I asked him, sir, I'm sorry, I'm having some trouble identifying whether your accent is Australian or New Zealand. Uh, I'm sorry if this is personal, but do you mind if I ask which it is? And he was like, it's actually both. I was raised in New Zealand and have lived in Australia for 15 years. Like, I can't believe you were able to perceive that. And I was wow. like, I love accents in general, but New Zealand and Australian ones are some of my favorite to think about uh by the way <laughs> it was a point of personal uh I, w I was impressed personally with your irish accent the other night irish was one of the more difficult dialects for me to pick up i don't know if i'm saying that correctly it was one of the more difficult accents for me to be able to do and i consider yeah, myself um, i consider myself fairly gifted with accents i can typically listen to it for a minute or two and pick it up and irish i had the worst time ever trying to do um there's uh there's a show called signal boost on uh geek and sundry 
There's an episode of it with a with Liam O'Brien that you should watch. That guy sounds really Irish. Uh, he's not. Uh, <laughs> Bullshit. He he, he, he he does not have an Irish accent himself. No, but his uh, blood is fucking green. He he act he actually does plug a it's a digital repository uh, where they have ser- several phrases that people native speakers of a language will say in English to help you learn dialects of accents. Sweet. Uh, and it's a huge repository, and he plugs it, so you should watch that. Everyone else should watch it as well. It's called Signal Boost with Liam O'Brien. We'll put a link in the thing. Yeah. It is wonderful. Uh, I love Liam O'Brien as a person, as an actor. His work is fantastic. Uh, I, uh, I'm i also a giggling Critical Role fanboy. Uh, <laughs> is he in that? Yes, he okay. is. Uh, he voices Yasuo. In League of Legends. Uh, oh, I was going to say, isn't that a League of Legends character? Yeah, yeah, yeah he voices Yasuo uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And he's just, he is a fantastic uh, trained uh, actor, voice actor. Yeah, everybody uh, in Critical Role is like yeah, he, the greatest he, thing. He is, he is fantastic. But back to uh, Chiropractor. Yeah, Chiropractor. With an Australian accent. Australian accent. Gimlet Media, yeah, that yeah. thing, <laughs> Science Versus. So she was discussing uh, Chiropractic and where it came from. And it, originally, it originated in Iowa. Okay. And it was actually the father of chiropractic uh, was a magnetic healer. Okay. Which we now know is somewhat pseudoscience, mostly pseudoscience. Uh, He believed that he had a stronger magnetic pull in general and could transfer that energy into another person, thusly healing some of their ailments. Well, so to be fair, the school is a little bit, the jury is a little bit still out on chiropractic. Because I forget the phrasing that they use, but when they discuss your the malalignments of your spine, there are some doctors who say that shit just doesn't exist. Yeah, and however, there are some people who swear by it, and I'll, it's yeah. usually to alleviate neck and back pain. I was gonna say a lot of the debate with chiropractics is its long term role right. in pain relief. Like there is absolutely short term pain relief to be had, for instance, in the stretching of. Uh, tight joints and the massaging of muscles. Well, oftentimes they're also putting your vertebra back into place after they've slipped out. A little I was bit. gonna say there, there can, there's things like uh, disc swelling that can be yeah, alleviated, alleviated short term, but o- oftentimes uh, a significant amount of that pain and that misalignment can be alleviated through things like uh, muscle growth, like exercise and posture. Yep. Things that you don't have to pay. Tens and twenties and dozens of dollars an an hour. But this is America, where we would much rather pay somebody to fix our problem in the short term rather than go for the long term. That is true. So his first patient, his first patient, was a man who was hard of hearing okay. and had a hump in his back. Okay. And uh, I don't I don't recall what they said drove him to do this, but he popped a thing or two back into place. Yeah. And uh, that was supposed to be more like a. There we go. Back into place. Um, the guy came back the next day mm-hmm. and said he could hear the carriages on the street. I mean... And that, before he couldn't. So he was like, oh, I cured the deaf. It was probably a crazy coincidence. I mean, it, it, it's possible that that's something like a severe nerve impairment. Yeah. That, that was alleviated. And, well, again, those things are possible, but there are also cases where, because chiropractors are not technically trained medical professionals like there is a chiro- there are chiropractic schools in that but because they are not trained physicians with full knowledge of human physiology there are many instances where chiropractic care leads to people being crippled yeah 
because, uh, say, someone with scoliosis gets their back cracked, and now they have no feeling in their legs. Right. But I will say that there are some homeopathic remedies that exist even in that chiropractic office. Now, one of them, actually the originator of this particular remedy, won a Nobel Prize for, in, in his field in science for what he suggested. And this was alkalized water. And the Nobel Prize that was won was because alkalized water creates a hostile environment for cancer. That's not true at all. Uh, like, that, that is blatantly un untrue. Like, the, the idea that cancer thrives in a, in an acidic in a environment. environment has been thoroughly discredited. That's news to me. Like, yeah, no, that that is utterly, utter bubkiss. I'm sorry. I mean, I guess his Nobel Prize is also... I... Do you do you know the person's name? Of course not, because that would be helpful to the conversation. <laughs> give, give me one moment. But there have been... I mean, so even putting that aside, there also have been numerous studies. There's a disease that you suffer from that could be dramatically alleviated by ha reducing the amount of acid in your diet. Uh, yes, that is true. Uh, not even acid in particular. There are certain types of foods, actually fatty foods, it turns out. Fatty foods are typically high in acid content. Uh, specifically milks. Yeah? Milk in particular is a well, bad My dad suffers from the same disease. Yeah. And they oftentimes say, you know, tomatoes, bad news, um, because of their high acid content and things of that nature. So... Um, obviously your body stays in a particular state of equilibrium, otherwise bad things would happen. Okay, so, um, the instance is, uh, Dr. Otto Warburg, uh, he did not win the Nobel Prize for finding that cancer cannot live in an oxygen-rich or alkaline environment. He, what he discovered was that, uh, cancer cells simply are characteristic of having low oxygen themselves, uh, okay. but the environment that they're in, like, this is another case where, so something that often happens in public, in the public perception of scientific research, is that a certain factor is found, and that factor gets blown wildly out of proportion. That's all how it's fun, man. Yeah, it, it is, and again, so this is an instance where cancer cells are found to be characteristically lower in oxygen. The extrapolation that other people have made, not he, but other people have made, is that, oh, if you have high oxygen environment, that's what the cancer cells are taking all the oxygen from. And it's not true. Like, there is no evidence to point to that. Okay. But, no, there are, there are a multitude. And, I mean, this is one thing we've talked about before. The layman's understanding of medicine of medical practice, of personal medical care, is so wildly uninformed. Oh, yeah, it really is. And people are so ready to not only give medical advice based on solely colloquial knowledge, but to be angry if you do not follow said colloquial I knowledge. I know, right? Like, oh, you should have listened to me, and now you're going to suffer, and it's all your fault. Like, not... I'm sorry I didn't uh, hang my child by their ankles uh, <laughs> when they started hiccuping. Like, no, it's a bad thing to do. Yeah. And I mean, it gets especially bad when children are involved. But it's not just health, man. We have an overwhelming urge to offer advice on subjects 
about which we know very, we factually know very little. That's fair. Just in general, uh, I am so bad at this. When people, but I have no overwhelming urge to want to help people. This isn't necessarily, Me too. Me and too. it may come across, and I totally recognize this, to some folks as trying to say, well, I know better than you. But my goal is I want to give you some information that you can take with you from my personal experience that you may be able to use to alleviate your suffering. Yeah. Or uh, for me, it's or to improve your quality I enjoy of having conversations about these things. Right. I'm not trying to disprove you necessarily. I'm not trying to win an argument. I just like having a discussion. And sometimes I, I do so. Maybe this other person does so. We say things that are provably false or right. seem... Uh, seems suspect and that's a point to have another discussion on right. but it doesn't mean I'm trying to disprove you or say you are wrong like it's more it, about just making sure that the subject matter is based in truth exactly it's like the idea the idea that opinions can't be wrong technically an opinion can't be wrong because because an opinion is just a personal perspective but if it's in on, direct violation yes. and per, and is peddled as a fact, then it yeah. suddenly becomes very wrong if it's not right. Or, if your perspective is based on factually untrue information, then yes, your pers- your your opinion is wrong because it is based on wrong information. Big data algorithms. Like, yeah. Your opinion can only properly be formulated based on the information that you have. If the information that you have is wrong, then your, your opinion, opinion is invalid. Is, yes. It is not wrong, it is just invalid. <laughs> Uh, now, if you hold the same opinion after you've been given the factual information, then you're, you're just a moron. moron. <laughs> or, <laughs> or it happens to... Or you're willfully ignorant. Uh, that, 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 new information doesn't necessarily automatically discredit an opinion. That, sadly, you can look, fair. It should. It, you can look at the new information and say, okay, I accept that that's where the basis of truth comes from. But cognitive dissonance is a thing I'm aware of. It totally is. Uh, but... Uh, Most of the time in the face of just trying not to be wrong. Well, it's like, okay, uh, an instance that I found out years later. So I, when I am learning things, I ask a lot of questions uh, because there are often times, say, I will think of a scenario that I am not immediately sure of the application of the information I have. So I will ask, what about this situation? I'm not sure if the information we have covers that or how it does. Uh, and I try to talk through and figure out what might apply to it. Um, one particular instance that I remember that I found out years later, people had the wrong perspective on. Uh, I was in my driver's ed classes and I would ask my driver's ed instructor how certain, like about certain traffic situations, like what would be the procedure to take and I found out years later from someone who I took that class with that people thought I was trying to prove the instructor wrong is how they perceived it. They thought I was asking questions to disprove what the instructor was saying to me. And you me. were just trying to get the best information. I, exactly. I, whereas what I was doing was I was trying to make sure that the way I perceived the question and the information was correct. I was not attempting to prove them wrong. Uh, I was, in fact, attempting to figure out if I was wrong. Yeah. I didn't think I was smarter. I thought I was dumber and was making sure I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, man. But, again, that it's that whole question of perspective. This is something I've been wrestling with in my entire life, and it's something that I know that you've come up against multiple times as well. 
Um, you know, I spent a large period of my life as an individual who felt the need to challenge people's opinions based off of the idea that I felt that their opinions should be challenged if they had the conviction to share them. If you had the conviction to share an opinion within my presence, and you knew me well enough to know that I was going to challenge your conviction, then you better come strapped for a fight. Uh, and on certain things, I absolutely still there, agree with that, there, especially yes, in recent absolutely. history. Absolutely. There are definitely still scenarios where that will apply. Like, I will I will come at you, bro. And That's going to happen. And but, personally, I also do feel like if you are willing to put your, your thoughts, your perspective, your beliefs into public space, you should expect them to be challenged. You I, should, don't, or, I don't totally should agree be, with that. Or should be ready to be able to defend them. See, like, I don't necessarily. I, I, believe that, I believe that you should. <laughs> I believe that you shouldn't have an opinion or a view that you are not able to defend. Like, if I you, used if to you think don't, if you don't that feel that way. way, why do you have that idea? So, like, so here's so here's and, the revelation I that, that maybe, I have. With maybe that. I think way more about things than other people. But why? Why do p- other people not think about the things? Stop they asking so many questions and not take a breath long enough for somebody to answer them. <laughs> I used to think the ex- exactly. I used to think the exact same way. My perspective on it was that exact same thing. If you've got an opinion, you need to be ready to defend it. Otherwise, why have an opinion? Yeah, and why because voice the opinion? Because you fucking can, and fuck you for thinking that. Like that's the thing that hit me in the head. I literally woke up one day and went, "Holy shit, I'm an asshole," because. People are absolutely, by existing as a human being within, especially within our society, you literally have a legally protected right to have an opinion and not have to defend it. You don't have to have a reason. You don't have to have, there's literally, I I understand. I, I see the look you're giving me. I totally get it. I want everybody who has an opinion to be able to back their opinion up with reasons for the opinion and be prepared to be challenged for that opinion. But the beauty of living in a society that we live in is that we're assholes for thinking that. They don't, they, a person, because they exist within the confines of this country, and in my opinion, no matter where you live, but laws are different in other yeah, places, you can the have, legal, the legal I hate green, why? Fuck you! That can be my reason! Like, I don't actually hate green, but that can... And that was so hard for me to get to. And once I allowed myself to accept that some people just have opinions that have opinions because their reason... They don't have to have an explainable reason. Their reason is because that's how it makes them feel. And that's okay. And maybe they can't explain the fact that that's how it makes them feel. But I have to be okay with that. And, and that and I morphed my entire perspective on everything. And I definitely am. The, the point where I don't allow that, though, is when that opinion has a... has a... Actual, a perceptible has a, a perceptible effect. effect. Yeah. Like, like the, an opinion is, I don't like green. For I instance. think coffee smells bad. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, I don't like co- chocolate. I You're taste, a liar. Uh, I really don't. I taste... I for, for those who don't know, I don't like chocolate because I taste the bitter notes of the cocoa and even milk chocolate. It's a thing. It's gotten better over the years as my taste buds have died because I'm getting older. Uh, but I still am not a fan. I can eat it with things like peanut butter or other salty things because, hey, fun fact, salt and bitter bind to the same taste receptors, and if you're tasting salty things, you don't taste the bitter things. So instead of putting sugar on something bitter, add salt. Uh... But, like, that's an opinion. On a, the opinion... Easy. Uh, Think I, long and hard before you speak I next. know. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going with one that anyone who I want reading, listening to the podcast 
won't disagree on, but the perspective... Somebody's going to disagree with it, Colby. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> but the perspective... Black people... You went there? Uh, I said be careful if you went there! I, I know. I, I was, black people can fly. Okay. Like, oh, like I, I'm going with something ludicrous. Like, that is not an opinion. Like, that is... That is oh a provably God. false thing. Like, like that's there's a bre- there's a bajillion <laughs> thing on this planet that you could have went for. Uh, I, oh my or, God. Or <laughs> apple <laughs> apples are denser than lead. No, no, they're not. That's like not, you're really like, bad at this. <laughs> I just wish we could think of an actual opinion we've heard somebody <laughs> say. Uh, hold on. Okay, here's um. Uh, this might be a, a halfway decent example that's potentially hot button that I shouldn't say out loud. Um, Do it. That uh, nobody in the society owes you anything, therefore raising the minimum wage is a bad idea. No, yeah. I got a better one. Because this is an opinion that a lot of people have It tied into the minimum wage. Okay. That's absolutely been debunked and makes me want to hit everybody in the mouth who says it. Okay. So, fight me. I, I, I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> raising the minimum wage causes inflation. Jesus no. fucking Christ. Oh, yeah. Like, like that, listen, that, that is, is that not is one a fact. Of those, that is one of those opinions that is, again, based on unfactual information. Like, or, sorry, technically factual because a fact is just something that can be proven or disproven. It is technically factual. It is also wrong. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is, no, that, no, no, you're, you're making my brain. No, a, a fact is simply something that can be proven or disproven. Okay. That does not say whether it is true or false, just whether it is provable Touché. or disproven. So it can be a fact, but it, it would be a false fact? Yes, okay. exactly. I accept like, that. This Facts is, are also typically associated with um, being correct. Yes, but but they are not necessarily. Okay, uh, you just did a really bad job explaining that at first. Yeah. Or I did a really bad job listening to it. I don't you, know, maybe both. I, I think a bit of both. But, but yeah, like <laughs> that that's one of the things where, like... So, <laughs> to go into some economics... Uh, Let's not dive too far in, though. No. Uh, ec- uh, to go into a little bit of economic history, uh, minimum wage has increased significantly slower than inflation. Inflation has continued to go up, not only steadily, but increasingly. Consistently. Over the la- cons- no, even more than consistently, it has escalated yes. over the last several decades. Correct. Whereas minimum wage has, stagnated. Has, not only, has not only stagnated, but its rate has actually gone down over the last several decades. It's a, uh, it's a causation versus correlation situation. Yeah. If you raise, historically speaking, if you raise the minimum wage, inflation does go up. But it's not because you have raised the minimum wage, because if you don't raise the minimum wage, inflation still continues to go the fuck up. Yeah. Also, uh, in, in the studies, I, I, I'm going to quote some numbers here. They are probably not 100% accurate. But when you increase the minimum wage, only a, a, a small percentage of that increase is seen in inflation. A very small percentage. It's like less than 2% increase. Uh, but you often see a significant increase in the expenditure because people have more money. When people have money, they spend money, especially when they're poor. Yeah. And guess who the raising minimum wage affects? The poor. Yeah, well, it's, it's like uh, the most recent statistic I had access to was 2014. Uh, 25% of tax returns filed in the United States were for $15,000 or less. 24% of income-earning homes earn $15,000 or less. At the 55% mark was at $30,000 or less. Uh, like, this, like when people are 
uh, one of the debates that I often hear is that if you want a better job, just get a better job. Yeah, Guess right? what? They aren't there. Okay, but let's just okay. say that they're, they are there, right? If you want a better job, go to college, get a better job. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's ignore the crippling debt. Yeah. For uh, just a second. Because I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying for the purposes of this conversation, let's yeah. ignore the crippling debt. Let's say everybody takes that move and everybody goes to college and everybody gets a better job. Who the fuck is left to do the rest of the work? Yeah, uh, considering that I think it's 35%. 35% of workers making under $10 an hour, which is considered the, the general uh, metric for low-wage work is $10 or under. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, is considered low-wage. If you make under $10 an hour or less, you are 35% likely to have a college ex education. 35% 35% of people making $10 or less make uh, have at least two years of college experience. Like... Like, it's, these are numbers that people are just choosing to ignore. Yeah. I also, uh, like, I, I and, and that conversation can take, well, nobody owes you anything, so why should we pay? Because if a person is going to work and spend 40 plus hours of their life performing a function that is necessary for the society that we have created in order to get for that to continue, where everything's going to go to automation. No, the fuck it isn't. Well, there are, well, there here, are things that are thing. being automated, but not here, at the clip that they're suggesting. Also, that's another issue of uh, correlation versus causation. Everything is going to be automated. That's coming is, anyway. Yeah, it is not going to matter. We are currently transitioning into a post-industrial society. Eventually, everything that human beings can physically do will be done by, by a machine. That is the eventual evolution of human technology, is that any physical job, be it, uh, be it building bridges, be it uh, moving things, shipping, the, the, the trucking industry, anything yep. that can be done by a computer will be done by a computer. It's just efficiency. And have, it's less expensive. Yeah, it, you don't have to employ people. Right. Like, computers don't work when they're off. Correct. They, 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 they don't eat resources when they're not working. And you don't necessarily... All you have to pay is for the electric bill for those to work. Yes, which is why... There was like, actually a really fascinating TED Talk that was done on this whole situation. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll see if I can find it so I can link it to the, um, the page. But there was an individual who was discussing that as a society, we need to start looking at what a job actually is for people. Oh, yeah. Because once things start to get automated, we're going to go the one of two ways. There's going to be a lot of people without jobs, and the amount of poor and homeless is going to go up dramatically, uh -huh. which some people are okay with because they start talking about survival of the fittest, and that directly leads to me hearing that they want the taste slapped out of their mouth. Uh, yeah. But then we also have to look at what is a job, and how do we, you know, we have to redefine that for our and, entire culture. And an important phrase that I particularly despise is the phrase, earn a living. I do not like this phrase. Uh, it's because it's bullshit. Yeah, because you're a human being. You deserve to live. You should. You don't have to earn a living. You're a human being. You have a value and a right to live because you are human. And I don't think anybody... I, I know I personally, and I, I think you probably subscribe to this as well, Colby. Nobody's suggesting that people should get not, something for nothing. I still think people should be putting in 40-hour work weeks or so, you know, especially if you're in, like, entry-level, quote-unquote, unskilled, which is a disgusting terminology as well, positions. But if we're, if we're going to live in a society that creates the need for a position and then a person is willing to fulfill that position, they, I think that they deserve a quality of life. I won't even say deserve. They have earned a they have quality earned. of life. Yeah. They have done the work. Uh, 
we live in a society that revolves around access to food at any point in time through fast food. That person who is, even if they are a teenager, for instance, and they're earning extra money, guess what? That teenager is standing in front of 350-degree fryers, That's right. 500-degree uh, stoves and, yeah. and ovens, using knives, preparing your food in a safe and sanitary way to make sure that you don't get salmonella. Like, that person, uh, they are dealing with your salty ass all day and keeping a smile on. Right. Like, and they're doing this 4,000 times a day with 4,000 customers. They have earned a living. They have earned a minimum level of living. And I've heard the argument before, there's always going to be a lowest rung on the ladder. And that's true. But we should, we have the resources as a society to make sure that that rung is above water. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's no reason that the lowest rung on the ladder... Like, if we're (laughs) judged... There's so many sentences going through my head right now. A team is judged... A team is only as strong as its weakest link. If our weakest link is exceptional, imagine the heights our society climbs to. Yeah. You don't have to step on people to get what you want. and And it makes me ill when people do that. And, I mean, then you look at, like... uh, We're getting into a bit of, like, a corporatist debate here, but companies in America are oftentimes reporting income figures in the billions of dollars. Correct. uh, While, at the same time, their employees are subsisting on government assistance because they do not make enough money to survive. Corporate welfare. Yes. uh, For those who don't know, the idea of corporate welfare is that a company will pay their employees little enough that that comp- that those people, those employees, must then seek government assistance to continue living or else they will die. And then that company is essentially profiting off of the government because they are not paying their employees enough to survive. And I'm sorry, but I find it to be... I'm not sorry. I find it to be outrageously immoral for a company to be okay with the idea that they're not taking care of their employees. And then the bar has been set so low that anybody who does marginally better boasts about what they're doing. I worked for a company recently that because they they paid more than what anybody else did, they were like, yeah, this is really great. No, you don't pay great. You pay better than the worst. That's not great. And you need to to straighten that out right now. Yeah, it's... And if... I will just say it feels disingenuous when companies say that they can't afford to pay their employees more while reporting 9 and 10 and 12 figure profits. Not even income, but profits. profits. Yep. This, that is not, oh, we made this much and then we had to pay out for our employees and for our locations and for our marketing. No. After all other money has gone out, this is how much we made extra. That's correct. And, and that's just, and again, that's keep in mind that a lot of these companies, that's just what they're making on their business because a significant am- amount of income for businesses of this size is not in their actual business, but rather in corporate interests, in things like stocks and yep. bonds and in market controls. Uh, Amazon is a great example of this. Amazon has only turned a profit at all two quarters in the entire time that they have existed. And both times, the their administration was reprimanded for fucking up because Amazon does not want to make a profit. They continue to exist, funneling all of their money back into the company, and they essentially 
they pay their employees, including their executive staff, and then all of the money goes back into research and development because they know you don't need to grow for growth's sake. Correct. Like, there, there is a big myth in the American corporate system that you must keep growing, and if you stop growing, you'll die. And it's not true. It leads to bloat, to companies... Oh, yeah. Uh, investing so much money that they don't turn a profit now be or having to cut money from people who otherwise would be able to earn a living because it's making up such a large part of their uh, of their income investment. Yeah, and I, I also will say that I think CEOs absolutely deserve to make maybe the most money in the company. Absolutely. I don't think that a CEO should be making several hundred times more an hour. Hundred, it's thousands. Well, it depends on the company. Yeah, but, but you're uh, percent. I was also referencing yeah. percent. I don't think that they should be making three hundred percent more an hour than what the lowest employee does. Even one hundred percent, I think, is bloated. Yeah. But one of my favorite examples of this entire conversation is gravity payments. Have you okay. heard of them? I have not. <clears throat> so gravity payments is a. Uh, Gravity Payments is a credit card processing service. Okay. And a couple of years ago, the CEO, Dan Price, who was making a lot of money, decided to try something. He decided to raise the minimum wage of everybody in his company to $70,000. Okay, I do know this story. I did not know the name of the company. But yeah, he... He, he increased they the minimum are, wage they to have $70,000 within the company? $70,000 minimum. And he, the, the thing is, he actually lost a lot of people who felt that that wasn't fair. And this is something you, you that I've heard in this debate a lot is, oh, if you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, that's not fair to the people who have been there longer because they've earned that increase. Well, guess what? If they have been there longer and are better, they will continue getting raises and increase more than those people who have been there less time. And that's what they saw. Oh, and the interestingly people, enough... The people who stayed in the company continued to make more money, and right. he, in, he drew in incredible talent. He also... Um, his own salary went from a million to 70000 as well. Yeah. So everybody was making 70000 He. Uh, I remember in a discussion on that, like, a year or two years later... Um, they discussed how, like, there was one person in the office in, like, a one-year period before they did this that had had a child. Yeah. The year after they did it, ten people in the office had children. Because they could afford to. Yes, because they could afford to, because they had the financial stability and security. And he said, this is a good and beautiful thing. We are giving people the security and the confidence to be able to make new life. This should be the goal. And you're seeing things like that in countries, uh, in Scandin like Scandinavian countries, right. where you are seeing things, and this is an experiment that they've done in America as well, in small scale, of what they call a a uh, a guaranteed wage. Like mm -hmm. for being a citizen, you're given a enough oh money, yeah 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 you're given enough money to survive. You're given enough money to live in your house and. Funny story basic about amount that. Of food. I read somewhere. This was back when I was working at Finish Line, mm -hmm. and so this was five plus years ago. Yeah, I had read that. I think it was Norway was increasing their uh, minimum. What did you call it? Uh, I forget the terminology. Uh, for I, it, I forget. I, for, I can't remember the term <laughs> now, but it's basically a 
a stipend for being a citizen. Correct. It is a base amount of pay that you get just for being a human so being I read because they, humans deserve to live. That it was going up to like $2,000 or a something month. like that. And if you made less than $2,000 a month, the government would subsidize it. Yeah. And so I actually had a Norwegian come into my store. Mm-hmm. Which was crazy. And I was like, oh, you live in Norway? He was like, yeah. yeah. I, said, I'm so, I, said, I actually have a couple of friends online who live in Norway. I said, well, forgive things. me for asking this question. Feel free to not answer it. I'm just curious. I heard that the government was going to be paying you guys $2,000 a month if you don't make at least that in order to live. And he was like, oh, really? Is it going up to that? I said, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, well, they already do f- up to fifteen. I guess they're increasing it to 2000 now. Yeah. So they it, were already doing yes, it. It's already an established thing. And this is what a society is supposed to do. It's supposed to lift yes. its people up. The, the 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 base the basis of a society is to collaboratively provide a minimum standard for everyone so that everyone is elevated because when everyone has at least enough, then those people are able to provide more. It's yep. it's the idea like I now like not careful, I hear, but you're getting awful close to communism. I I know, but like I hear <laughs> I hear so often people say, oh, if you guarantee if you guarantee everybody a living, then people just won't work. Bullshit. Everyone who I almost everyone there are almost, people who that doesn't there, there are people who will take advantage of a system that means they don't have to work for a while, but. Life gets really boring if you have no reason to be living, if you have no purpose to your life. I think that it does encourage organic growth. Yes. When you're not struggling to just, pay, to make, to, it just to make it by, to pay the bills and put food on your table, then I think it does encourage organic growth. I think yeah. that people, their entire attitude does change. And you're I not would, going, there are going to be a couple of bad apples. I know people personally I who have found loopholes in the government where they don't some of them can't work some of them could find work and but but the government gives them just enough to get by and so that's what they live on and, and you know and it's the thing is for those who have never been around that environment it is not a standard of living it is the, the amount that you are given to live off of in is, america in america on welfare is pathetic well, i'm also almost, referencing ssi I know, but it is almost unlivable. Between SSI and welfare, I know people who live their entire lives on $700 a month with $150 in food stamps a month. I I can't even imagine. I I don't know where you live, but please tell me where it is if that is enough money to survive. Fucking please. Because it's not where I live. No. Because consider the standard for affordable housing, if you if anyone isn't aware, the standard that they use for affordable housing is spending less than one third of your gross income <laughs> on housing. That is literally nowhere in the country that minimum wage allows you to afford minimal housing. What's the decimal for one third? Uh point three 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 three. Yeah. <laughs> so think about that. If you live, if you are in any living situation where you pay less than a third of your monthly income, gross income, so that is before taxes come out, uh, for housing, you are considered to have secure housing. Understand that the vast majority of Americans in this country do not get to live in that situation. That is an abnormality. In my experience and in about half of America's experience. Uh, and so, Colby, to give you a rough estimate, uh-huh. in my current living situation, 
if I was, oh, actually that's not, let me, let me check something quick. Let me, let me redo my math. <laughs> Because I want to check something. So that's per month, right? You're, yes. And that's just the cost of housing. Yeah, the ha like your house alone. Okay. Like your rent. Um, I don't know if it includes things like utilities and whatnot, but I don't think so. I think it's just your house alone. So, nope, that's not what I meant to do. <laughs> God damn it. Give I'm us doing, a moment. Math. Doing the math wrong. So about 3000 So multiply your rent by three, and that's how much the, is minimally accepted for livable for this apartment livable so yeah yeah yeah. so so in order for this to be livable i have to make three times or more the amount of your rent right and so i'm just i'm just taking it up by another um half thousand just because yeah like uh just just because it would give us a, a slight basis and if i take that per month and then multiply that by 12 to give me a rough estimate of the gross just for living expenses right i would need to be making forty two thousand dollars a year yeah and, and that's if I was, like, by myself. Yes. And I'm not by myself. Um, and, yeah. So, yeah. Now, and, and I'll be honest with you, finding positions without a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. in our particular area at 40000 or more is, is almost, it's, it's so difficult. Uh, keep, uh, to put it in perspective, the, if you work 40 hours a week on minimum wage, the... Housing cost that you would need to be at is $387 or less. There is no way exist. that you can, even like a studio apartment, a, a room, exist. you cannot get that. In one of the lowest, in one of the lowest cost places to live in our general area, a one bedroom apartment, I don't think you could find one for less at than 500 I've seen some places as low as 400 but that's still higher than what is considered secure income. Agreed. And that is for a basic standard of living. Uh, and, I mean, we've talked and about this before. that's just housing expense. That's just housing. That's that doesn't not, include literally yeah, anything else. Literally nothing else. That is that is what is considered a stable income. And it's not there. <laughs> like, it just, it isn't. And, it's, and, and these are, and, and and these are people, situations that a, people an idea, grow up with. There's an idea, for some reason, um... That, that some folks seem to have where these minimum wage jobs are just starter jobs for teenagers who... Yeah. Th when, that's horse shit. Yeah, that's not because, what the minimum wage was instituted for. No. Plus, 65% of people who work $10 or under jobs are over 45. Correct. Also, uh, can you again, again, uh, 35% of them have at least two years of college training. Like, these are... And again, even if you are a teenager working a summer job... You have earned that much income because you are putting your, your one, you are your putting time your time in, yeah. and you are putting yourself in danger. They actually did an experiment. Someone did a living, uh, like, statue kind of experiment, uh, a living expose, where they had a machine, and as you turned a crank, every so many seconds, it would spit out a penny. And as you turned this crank, it would work out to, if you stood there and worked that crank constantly, you would make $7.25 an hour in pennies. No one would do it because you are literally just standing there mindlessly cranking. The Correct. idea that human time has a base value. But if, if, you, if someone asked you, I want you to stand in this room doing absolutely nothing for eight hours, watch this box so it doesn't, get, so it doesn't disappear. It'll disappear if you don't watch it, and I'll pay you $50 for standing here for eight hours. That's not fucking worth eight hours of time. 
but that's about what you make if you make minimum wage in take-home pay. Once people force a context into something, you suddenly become guilted into thinking that it's acceptable to give you an hourly rate. And this is gross. This is before taxes. Yeah. In order for you to have any kind of standard of living uh, that's considered stable income based on the parameters that we've set forth here, you have to be making, uh, in my particular situation, um, you would have to be making almost $21 an hour. Yeah. And that's, and, that's, and that's before taxes. Yeah, and then, and then of course, you hear the argument, oh, but EMTs only make $15 an hour. Why that's the, wrong, too! Why the fuck are EMTs making an unlivable wage? Like, why? Did you this know that is there are not some, good. Did you know that there are some doctors who don't make that much? I believe that. Doctors. Yeah. The assumed profession of, of the all-stars. Of though. affluence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all-stars and lawyers are, like, the money professions. Yep. Uh, and they don't make that much money. It's no. disturbing, man. It's it is. Just, and and, and I've been going through a job search recently, and I've found some positions, but almost all of them that are at the income level that are required for me to be able to support my family require a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. and the experience that I've earned in the time that it would have taken me to earn that bachelor's degree. So help me. Like, I actually emailed the one place back because they rejected my application because I don't have a bachelor's degree, and I said, could you please explain to me how 10 years in this industry does not qualify me for, for that the position, experience. especially when the experience that I have could not possibly be earned in a classroom. Yeah. Never received an email back. Yep. Uh, and it's, uh, it, for the, for people who don't know, the, what colleges originally were intended for while they were always places of learning, the true intent of a college degree was as a symbol of familial descent. The I, If you've ever heard the phrase, oh, you're a Yale man, or, oh, you're a Duke man, the idea was that you'd be sent to these institutions by your family, and that proved your pedigree. Yep. And, and then through the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, and uh, even up to the 90s, that changed. Instead college became a venue for people who did not have access previously to have upward mobility. They had uh, suddenly people who grew up in an inner city. If you were able to, they were given access to higher education. And we saw a burgeoning in America's success when we stopped saying, when we started saying everyone deserves this chance, let's give it to them. And then they decided to take it away. Yeah. And it's it's somewhat based on the college industry itself, but it's also significantly based on the public the public perception of education has become incredibly toxic. Especially, and I'm sorry for my viewers of this bent, amongst conservative Listeners. America. Uh, viewers, I don't <laughs> I'm just saying viewers. Uh Especially among those of a conservative bent. I have often heard from uh, those friends of mine who are conservative that college has a liberal bias. And that's untrue. Uh, One of the situations that I saw that sort of espoused the idea is college does not have a liberal bias. College teaches you critical thinking. And unfortunately, critical thinking is anathema to many conservative values. Because they're just spoon-fed uh, thought exercises that match along with their personal viewpoints, and all of a sudden it's fact. And diatribe. There's oh, yeah. So, there's so much colloquial wisdom and diatribe that is 
that cannot be questioned or else there's a problem with you that is challenged in uh, in an academic setting. And there is no... So there isn't a liberal bias. There's just... It's almost become a negative thing to be uh, a learned person. Well, yeah. There, it's what they call the cult of ignorance uh, or the, the cult of the uh, idiot expert. The idea is, or oh, no, I like it's, that. It, it's the the cult of genius unspoiled by genius unspoiled by expertise. That's what it is. Okay. Uh, it's the idea that, uh, and you see it again in all kinds of film and media. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the experts can't solve this incredibly complex problem, but then the plumber comes in and he's like, ah. It's just like a catalytic converter. That's all you gotta do, and then it's solved. By it, by not knowing all the expertise, you are able to perceive the simplicity of it. There, there is this cult mentality that every solution is easy. You just have to not think about it too hard. Yeah, that's fair. And it's and it's idiotic. It is not true. There are. I, I'm gonna play devil's advocate because <coughs> I've grown up in sales. <laughs> And I say I've grown up. You know what I mean. Uh, there is something to be said for the KISS method. Keep it simple, yes. Keep, and, exactly. And obviously you, there's different amalgamations of that. But what you're saying is very true. Uh, and it's a pervasion of the truth of the real world. Yeah. And it allows a continuous brainwashing of people who think that their being poor is just a bad day. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but I, I do think that there is definitely something to be said for everything that you can touch. Mm -hmm. That oftentimes the simplest solution is the best and is the right one. So I think that it's just an overblown hyperbole of that scenario. Which is a possibility. Like The idea of being able to cut through clutter and see a problem uh, for what it really is rather than for what you are making of it is an important skill to learn. But... Understanding what the problem actually is in the first place often requires expertise. Agreed. And that is one of the things that is lost in that. I think uh, the thing that it really what that really boils down to is the critical thinker, the learned man, is definitely looking at it, maybe overthinking it, maybe finding it, but that's because they've spent so much time applying their expertise to the problem and they have that unwillingness to let it go that a good night's sleep and a nice, you know, hearty bowl of Wheaties and they'll be back at it and see it with the fresh eyes. It's the Fair. fresh eyes with an expertise level that matches the original may be able to bring resolution to the original problem. But yeah, the idea that the un... The... I don't want to say uneducated, but the uneducated... The unlearned. The unlearned, the unlearned perspective will always beat out the expertise perspective. It just helps is, people feel good who shouldn't feel good about that. Well, it's... Well, you were saying, you know, that's one of those mentalities that's used to enforce the principles that keep people poor. And you're right. I mean, I've, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, where it was a pervasive ideology that if you didn't work a physical labor position, you, you were a pussy. That you didn't want, you didn't want to work one of those jobs because that's not real work. You're not earning your living. Yeah, you see it in the military. Uh, you'll uh, a phrase that you will hear in the military uh, in basic training is you do not call your uh, uh, drill sergeant sir, 
because they will respond, don't call me sir, I work for a living. Right. It's, it, there is... That always bugs the shit out of me. Yeah. Like, what, are you a madam? Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it's, it's this idea that if you do not do physical labor, and this is especially prevalent in rural areas, if you do especially not do physi- physical jobs, if you do not do them, you are not working. You are not earning a living. You are betraying what makes your area real. What, it, 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 what makes be- this country yeah, great. You're, you're betraying the spirit of your family, your yep. area, your country, and it's not true. I like, mean, it's not. You're exactly uh, right. For instance, there's uh, a thing that came up recently in the uh, during the presidential election in 2016 was the debate uh, Trump promised to bring coal back. If you don't know, that's that can't happen. Coal isn't going away because it's being overregulated. Coal is going away because Coal is, isn't there anymore, for one, and two, all of the jobs are being automated, and so five people can run a plant that used to need 400 people to mine. Yep. Uh, so those jobs aren't there, and giving free money to the companies that are running it so that they'll bring jobs back, it, they're just going to... Uh, downs- they're just going to downsize the same way they were before and now be richer. Yep. Uh, whereas uh, the democratic solution that we is actually in place in quite a few uh, areas of the coal region through the Appalachians. Retraining? Is exactly, yeah. retraining. There are programs, if you do work in the coal industry, there are programs that you can contact that will retrain you in installation of clean energy, in uh, IT pos- positions such as uh, programming or CNSA. Uh, wow. Yeah, they, these programs exist, but they are so underutilized that there are often two or three applicants a year. If this is an op, if, if you are listening and you work in the energy industry, the coal industry, the gas industry, the uh, uh, oil industry, this is an opportunity for you to have an out for these industries that we know have a cycle of dying. We'll see if we can find a link to any of these things yeah. and then post it in the uh, thing. But that's, I mean, first of all, that's the right way to go. Yeah. Is to take these people. I mean, because you do have to consider um, when you make vast and overarching changes like this, it does have a, a very, it can have a detrimental impact to communities. Absolutely. To a, a, it gets down to a singular person. And so when you make these countrywide changes, and, and, you know, it can, it can definitely cause a problem, but... You know, that shouldn't stop us from making the changes to better our entire society. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like one of the one of the biggest bloats in the military budget, for instance, is the construction of obsolete technologies. We are still producing tanks, for instance, in the Midwest. We don't use tanks almost ever in modern military ventures, but we are continuing to build them because those industries run entire cities uh, yep. and fund huge portions of it. The savings that we would have stopping these programs would be enough that we could guarantee that minimum income to Americans to meet that and more. And then people would have income to put into other ventures. So it's understandable. It, it's the difference between propping up this industry because people need it versus instead retraining those people for new industry because this industry is going away. Right. And that's hard to get people to understand. Well, because and it feels like you're taking away their job and giving them something for nothing. Because people, it's just not... Yeah. It's all in how it's spun and sold, and it's not spun and sold very well. Yeah, and, and again, it's... It is... I, I will say, this is a big disconnect in, like, the Democratic 
policy, like for the Democratic Party, is that they often don't understand the mentality and the self-sufficiency of conservative America. There is a huge pride, a self-identification with the ideas of self-sufficiency, of uh, rebuilding your car. I mean, I hear from my granddad all the time that if uh, all this stuff in new cars is supposed to make them faster, just make them harder to work on. He's provably false. Like, <laughs> he is absolutely wrong, but it is one of those things where the things that make that car a car to old car guys, the ideas of self-reliance, customization, uh, and those things embody what a car is to them. Correct. And so to see that changed feels like a direct slap in the face. And it's not intended to be, it's just an aspect of efficiency and modernization. But it feels like entire communities are being left behind in that. And it's a lie that they're going to continue to tell us mm-hmm. and allow us to believe as long as it keeps and poor people poor. And, and that's really... I, and then on the I, don't, opposite, I don't want to sound like a conspiracist, no. but... But then on the opposite side, you have... it For people who make a lot of money, who are born into money, the exact opposite is told to them. That's correct. Like, there, there are absolutely mentalities uh, professed on each side of the line that enforce that environment. Correct. The idea that if you if you are born with a family that makes four million dollars a year, the idea that oh everyone has uh butlers and drivers, like that's just normal, isn't it? And then ask that person, do you, do you think your butlers and drivers have butlers and drivers? And watch them go ghost white because they never thought of that before. <laughs> this is this yeah. is the level to which there is another side of America. Yep. Uh, I had a roommate in college who lived off of a trust fund. He he went to one of the most the third most expensive out of pocket school in the nation. Paid for it. Paid for his housing. Paid for his food. His entire life off of a trust fund, uh, worked as a volunteer in a lab because he was a legitimately intelligent person with great education for free, and he didn't have to worry about the fact that the college wasn't paying him yet because he had that income. Now, you take that and extrapolate out. If you truly believe that people who are born in the inner city who have to start working at 14 because their parents can't pay their bills... If you think that that kid is any less likely than the kid who was born into that $4 million family to be intelligent and to have that possibility, you are provably wrong. And every time we have expanded access to upward mobility to a new group of people in America, or not even... The middle class grows! uh, Every time we have expanded the access of upward mobility to a new group of people on this earth, all of humanity benefits. It's true. Because... Every group of people is equally likely to have successful people and to have terrible people. That's how we reach the moon. That's how we become a globalized society. That's how we develop an international space station. And that's how we find another planet to live on when we've used this entire one up. And uh, on that note... That's a point that I think is great for our next one because we're I will debate that. on that yes. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so uh, take your fucking medicine and have a good day. And better yourself. Always be improving. Short. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And if you feel so compelled to want to join into the conversation, you can keep in touch with the podcast. We're on multiple social media platforms. You can find us on Twitter at MagWisk, M A G W H I S K. 
We are on Instagram at Whiskers Podcast, and you can follow us personally on Twitter. Uh, I myself am RemyX0, the O is the number zero, and then Colby is LavenderIs91, L-V-N-D-R-I-S-9-1. We also have the Gmail, MagnificentWhiskers at gmail.com. We eagerly await and anticipate your viewpoints, your opinions, your input, and we strongly encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, We'd love to either have you on the podcast or give you a nice shout out uh, on the next episode. So thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time.